Happy New Year to you. So um, it'd be great if you've got your Bibles with you, because uh, we need them. And uh, this morning we're beginning a, a seven-week series uh, called Gifts to Go. And uh, it's, we're going to base it in three chapters of Scripture. They're chapters 12 through to 14 of 1 Corinthians. And um, these chapters describe how a healthy church should function in the area of lovingly using spiritual gifts to change the world. That's the kind of summary of those three chapters. And uh, so for seven weeks, we're going to think about these gifts to go. And uh, just before we get into it, I want to give you a tiny bit of background uh, about 1 Corinthians. So it was a letter written um, kind of middle of the first century AD by a guy called Paul to a church in Corinth. And uh, this church, I mean, many of you are part of Jubilee. A number of you are visiting from other churches. And you may look at your church and think it's amazing. Or you may look at your church and think, man, we've got some issues. I tell you what, read 1 Corinthians and you will feel a whole lot better. Because that was a church that was struggling to deal with sexual immorality, with disunity and factions, with some pretty dubious theology that was being spouted. Um, and Paul writes to them and says how incredible they are. <laughs> yeah, he writes to them and says how incredible they are. And then gives them these chapters in the middle of the letter saying this is how you to function lovingly using spiritual gifts to change the world. And he starts chapter 12, which we're going to read the first part of in a minute, with this phrase. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So we're going to read the start of that chapter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read the first 13 verses. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. We had one of those this morning about the lung condition was a word of knowledge. To another faith by the same spirit. Some of that was on display the morning. To another gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another the effecting of miracles. And to another prophecy. We saw that this morning during our worship time. To another the distinguishing of spirits. And to another various kind of tongues. We had that this morning. And to another the interpretation of tongues. We had that as well this morning. Oh, we didn't do too badly, did we? But the one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. 
So actually, he didn't do too badly this morning. Verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. We're going to pray. Our Father, we want to draw in close again to your presence. For us, Lord, we don't want it to just be a worship time thing. That when there's music, that's when we feel your presence. When we stood up, that's when we're engaged. God, we want this to be our lifestyle. And so as we sit now around your word, would you open it up to us by your spirit? May we encounter you, the living and mighty God. And may we be transformed because of your work in us. Father, I pray for me. Help me as I as I speak. God, you know, you know the struggles that there are to get to this point. And so we pray, Father, would you speak now through me to all of us? May each of us encounter you. Amen. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. We want to take that seriously as a church. We believe in 2019. So the last couple of days, um, well, Friday evening and Saturday, the the, uh, elders, we had a bit of a retreat, which is not really very much hard work at all. It's a lot of fun. Um, And we talked and talked and talked about what we see God doing over the coming months and years. And 2019 is going to be a year of mobilization for us as a people. He's going to give us gifts to go. That's why we're starting the year like this. Gifts to go and represent him wherever we're sent. And it would be very easy for us to launch in and look at these gifts. But before we do that, we want to actually think about this. Now concerning the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. You see, once we begin to look at these amazing spiritual gifts, once we begin to do what Paul instructs the Corinthians and eagerly desire them, once we have a a time to think about what that might look like as we go out and about in our daily lives, we will be so utterly excited and motivated to go and do that, that there's a danger that we miss the wood for the trees. Let me try and illustrate it for you. A couple of weeks ago, I was given a gift. It was Christmas, just in case you've forgotten, Um, and I was given a gift. In fact, you're probably looking at it now, my shirt. Thanks for all the nice comments everyone's given to me about it, yeah. Um, Now, it was given to me to be used. It would be not much good if I just received it, went, thanks very much, hung it in my wardrobe, and that's it. And as it turns out, I think I look pretty good in it, as as the live feed will uh, bear out. Um, But the gift tells me something about the giver. 
this giver, well, she'd thought about what I like, potentially what I need to improve my wardrobe. Um, she'd chosen a particular design. She'd thought about the correct size. She'd carefully wrapped it up in some nice wrapping paper, crafted a label to stick on it, which had a special message on it, so I knew that it was for me and from her. And I really, really like the shirt. I've worn it a few times. You'll probably see it again. It'll become my preaching shirt. <laughs> it was from Beck. That's my wife, for those of you who don't know. Um, but if I had the choice between having the gift or hanging out with the giver of the gift, there's no doubt about what I'd choose. The giver. <laughs> Every single time. What are you lot like? <laughs> the giver. Every time. Every time. And it's the same with spiritual gifts and the giver of spiritual gifts. We can easily become distracted by the spiritual gifts and forget that it's all about the giver. All about the Holy Spirit. And we must never, ever substitute gifts for the giver. We mustn't. Above all else in this life, our pursuit must be for a greater reality of knowing God. Of knowing him as our loving father. Of knowing him as our beautiful saviour. As knowing him as our wonderful counsellor. And so this morning we're focusing on the most amazing Holy Spirit. Now concerning the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. We do not want you to be uninformed. Got one thing on my mind this morning is that we encounter the Holy Spirit. And we've kind of stepped on the edge of that already this morning, and that's always encouraging as a preacher. And if you're there already, then feel free to continue in that. If you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, and most of the worship just passed you by because you didn't really get it, well, listen up, because hopefully this will explain a bit of it. And if at this point you're thinking, Oh, no, not the Holy Spirit again. Can't my kids kick up a fuss so I can rush out and rescue them? Can I gently suggest to you that God probably wants to speak to you about this this morning? The area of the Holy Spirit and the theology surrounding that and the doctrines that have arisen over the years have caused huge issues for the church down the years. And it is an absolute travesty. What should be one of the most precious things that we have in common as the people of God has caused division and disunity. And it's not my intention this morning to outline a particular doctrine and convince you of all the arguments and all that kind of stuff. I'd love to do that over coffee at the end, genuinely. would love to chat to you about that if you have those sorts of questions. My intention this morning is that we're going to follow through the thread of the Holy Spirit through the pages of the Bible and come to some very simple conclusions at the end. And then we're going to encounter the Holy Spirit. 
there will be an invitation for each of us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as the title of the talk is. And I'm saying that now, so it's not a surprise at the end. So who's the Holy Spirit? Well, he, and he is a he, not an it, he is God. Alongside God the Father, God the Son Jesus, we have God the Holy Spirit. And I think that it's very easy for us to kind of wrap our heads around the Father and the Son. We kind of get that. But the Holy Spirit, uh, okay, not quite sure what that looks like. It's difficult to comprehend, maybe a bit mysterious. And probably not helped by the fact that early translations of the Bible called him the Holy Ghost. Yeah. So, Holy Spirit, we'll call him for today. But when you read your Bible, you will see him absolutely everywhere. The Holy Spirit is a central character in this grand story of God. So uh, we're going to start on page one of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. God couldn't wait to get the Holy Spirit a mention. Verse 2. I mean, that is amazing. But not only that, that's the first page. Let's turn to the last page. Revelation chapter 22. Sorry if this spoils the end of the story, but he wins. And in verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the Bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost from first page to last page the holy spirit is there and on every page in between we see his fingerprints please don't tell me that the holy spirit is a new testament invention that he only crops up in acts or whatever. It's not true. He's there from first to last. Now he operates in an incredibly diverse set of ways as we go through scripture. We haven't possibly got time to look at them all. You'll have to come to Bible school and we do a whole evening on the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, the summary would be that we see the Holy Spirit filling or coming upon specific individuals at specific times, for a specific purpose. Specific individuals, at a specific time, for a specific purpose. And there are lots of examples. I'll just briefly outline a few of them. So one of my favourite Old Testament characters is Bezalel, who turns up in the book of Exodus. And uh, it says that he's filled with the Spirit of God. Why? To create amazing things. So embroidery. I mean, any of you do embroidery? Holy Spirit can anoint you to do amazing embroidery. That's the story of Bezalel. Any of you doing kind of crafting and sculpting with gold? Because he'll help you do that as well. There we are at the back. Excellent. The Holy Spirit will come upon you for things like that. The creativity of God. And what Bezalel did was got a team together and they created the tabernacle. The place where God's presence would dwell. That's how special it is. Or you've got Gideon. 
Gideon, he, uh, I mean, he, he was a wimp, okay? So he was the least in his family, etc., etc. When the angel of the Lord appeared to him, he was inside his wine press beating out wheat. So basically he was underground doing a task that needed a breeze. It was never going to work. But God found him and told him he was a mighty man of God, a mighty warrior. And the Holy Spirit came on him and he basically defeated the oppression the oppressive army of the Midianites. It was such a great victory that the psalmists and the prophets say about the day of Midian, the fact that this victory, and it's because the Holy Spirit filled Gideon. You've got Moses and his 70 elder friends. And the Holy Spirit fell on them and they all prophesied. Or you've got Othniel, who was one of the judges of Israel, one of the early judges who led the nation to military victory. Or Jephthah, who also did the same, military victories. Or Samson. We know about Samson, don't we? Hairy, strong. Well, the Holy Spirit came on him and he beat up a lion with his bare hands. Oh, that's impressive. Wonder what heaven's going to be like. Another time the Holy Spirit came on him and he was tied up with ropes at the time. And so he broke them, picked up a donkey's jawbone and killed a thousand men with it. I mean, this is this is what the Holy Spirit can do in us. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. You think I'm joking? It's there. Read Judges. It's a crazy book. Imperfect people empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he filled them at specific times for specific purposes. And the purposes were usually related to the glory of God. That's why a thousand people needed to be killed with a donkey's jawbone. It was about the glory of God. And as we move then into the New Testament, we immediately see an increase in the Holy Spirit's work. John the Baptist, he's filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And that is getting in there early. And let's look at Luke chapter 3. Jesus is baptized in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Some of you need to hear that this morning. As the Holy Spirit descends on you, you're my beloved son or daughter. In you, I'm well pleased. And this is something that the Holy Spirit does. Often, always, always, I want to say. The presence of the Holy Spirit comes with an assurance of who we are. I don't think Jesus particularly needed assuring. But the presence of the Holy Spirit comes and there's a comment about who he is. And explore that in due course. But then in the next chapter, we see Jesus. Well, we then see Jesus being led out into the Holy Spirit, led out into the desert by the Holy Spirit, then being led back. 
And then we say, when Jesus returned to the Galilee in the power of the spirit, news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in the synagogues. And then he stood up and said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favourable year of the Lord. When the Holy Spirit comes, he tells us who we are. Internal assurance. And he provides us with external power. So the Holy Spirit was on Jesus for demonstrating God's power. And Jesus, through his ministry, goes on to usher in a new era where the Holy Spirit is available to all people at all times for all tasks. Not just these specific individuals at specific times for specific tasks, but now available to all, all the time for everything. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 14. This is Jesus preparing his disciples for when he's not there anymore. Ah, wow. Which is like us now. Yeah. But Jesus isn't here physically. So all the stuff he writes about here, we basically say, that's for us. So listen to it. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. That was verse 16. Sorry, I forgot to say that. I will give you another helper that he may be with you for the next week or so till it wears off. No, I'll be with you forever. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. You see this internal assurance? The Holy Spirit, he is with us to be with us forever. Why? So we know we're not orphans. If we just scoot through to chapter 16 and verse 7. But I tell you the truth is to your advantage that I go away. That would have messed with their heads. How can it be good that Jesus is no longer with us? Well, Jesus says, I tell you why. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And here, when he comes, we'll convict the world, etc., etc. Verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into truth. He'll speak the words of God with you. You see, it's to our advantage that Jesus went so the Holy Spirit could come. We needed the Holy Spirit because we need a helper. We need a comforter. We need one who comes alongside. We need one who fills us and assures us internally of who we are in him. We're no longer orphans, but we're sons and daughters. But then, after Jesus died, he then rose from the dead. 
And then he was getting ready to ascend to heaven, to go so that the helper could come. And Acts, the book of Acts starts like this in verse 5. He speaks to his disciples, tells them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father has promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he promises that the Holy Spirit will come and will baptize them. What does baptism mean? Well, baptism is the inauguration into a new family. That's what it means. It's the start of a new phase of life. And in verse 8 of chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus goes on to say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So he says, the Holy Spirit, this promised helper, whom will only come when I go, he will come, he will assure you of your sonship, remind you that you're not orphans, he'll be with you forever, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, so you're part of the new family, and he will give you power. Power to do what? Power to live a life that looks like the life Jesus lived. Power to be my witnesses in your immediate surroundings, to your immediate people, and then to those you hate, and then to those in the rest of the world. That's <laughs> what the Holy Spirit does. Internal assurance, external power. And we see the two time and again, and Gideon's a good example. You're a mighty man of valour. Holy Spirit comes, oh yeah, I believe it. I, was, I thought I was the least in my family, but actually I'm a mighty man of valour. So what do I do? Well, I'm internally assured. So now I go out and do exploits of power. Lead an army of 300 with some glass jars and horns against a Midianite army of 100,000 people and win. <laughs> Let's not underestimate this person that we're talking about and the effect that he can have in each and every one of our lives. This is the promised Holy Spirit. And so we come to Pentecost. The great turning point. The hinge of church history, if you like. Chapter 2 of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one. That was a word which Alison brought earlier. Yeah? These things dangling down like tongues of fire. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And that some craziness then happens. <coughs> languages of all sorts of different languages. People hearing things uh, in their own tongue. From all around the world. And then Peter stands up. Peter, that university graduate who's a barrister, who's able to argue really succinctly and right to the point. Yeah, that Peter. 
No. Peter, the uneducated fisherman who'd just been hanging out with Jesus for three years, putting his foot in it every other day, but now is filled with the Spirit and suddenly knows who he is. And so he says, and in the last days, God says, I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my slaves, both men and women, in those days, I will pour out my spirit. He says, this is happening right now. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, there was internal assurance these people knew that they were now saved. Yeah? When you call on the Spirit, every one of them will be saved. That's what it says. Salvation for all. And there is external power. 3,000 people were added to their number that day. I mean, you were all amazed. Plucked from hell. Ushered into the kingdom. Saved and added to the church. This is the new normal. That's what Pentecost is. It says there is a difference now. Jesus has gone so the Holy Spirit can come. So all my people can what? Well, they can be full of the Holy Spirit on all occasions for all tasks. I don't know whether you do New Year's resolutions. I'm guessing that maybe some of you do. And now that it's the 13th, maybe some of you don't. (laughs) Why not read a chapter of Acts a day for the next four weeks? Because I haven't got time to go through it now. And count how many chapters the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned in. And when you're looking for the Holy Spirit, look at what he does. But I just want to answer a few quick questions about this whole area of being filled with the Holy Spirit, just very briefly. Firstly, is it really for all people? Yes. That was the brief answer. But Joel says, all men, sons, daughters, men that are young, men that are not as young, old, um, slaves and free, they're all included. The Holy Spirit poured out on all. And then as we go through Acts, we see the Holy Spirit being poured out on people who are linked to Judaism. So his disciples, they were all Jews and the Holy Spirit gets poured out on them. Then it goes to the Samaritans. Well, the Samaritans and Jews didn't really get on very well. In fact, not at all. It was poured out on them. So on the enemies of the Jews. Then it was poured out on Paul, who was killing people who were in the church. Then later on, it was poured out on people in Ephesus who believed but didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. I mean, that is dodgy theology if ever there was dodgy theology. And they're corrected and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And then Gentiles, and we should love this because I think most of us in the room are Gentiles, i.e. non-Jews. Acts chapter 10, 44, when Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. This is Cornelius 
and his family and friends. All the circumcised believers, so that's the Jews, who came with ex-Jews, who came with Peter, who were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is good news for us. Luke, a Gentile himself, goes to great lengths explaining this whole situation around Cornelius and the Holy Spirit and the gospel coming to the Gentiles. Why? Because most of the world is Gentile. And therefore we need to know this. Whatever your background Whatever your heritage, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your social status, whatever your educational background, whatever your theology, you are invited to come and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Acts tells us. Some may say, well, I thought I got the Holy Spirit when you were saved. You did. You most definitely did. Because it's the Holy Spirit who's involved in creating new creations. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. If you haven't got the Holy Spirit when you were saved, then you weren't saved. However, when we read through the accounts of Acts, we don't just read of people getting saved. There always seems to be something extra happening, which is variously described about being baptized in the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. There is an additional dynamic description of people experiencing something which is distinctive and significant. If it wasn't distinctive or significant, why write about it so often? It can all happen when we get saved. And in my experience, it doesn't all happen at the same time for people something they come into. So if you like, baptism is the kind of initial filling of the Spirit. But the command is to go on being filled, continually be filled. But I'm happy to, that's probably one of those things that you might want to ask about at the end, and I'd be happy to do that. And so then the question is, well, it happened to me and I felt all full of the Holy Spirit, so surely that's it. Well, it may be it, if you choose to stop asking. But when we read Acts again, um, just turn Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. So the story now, we've had Pentecost chapter 2, then they go out and start creating a bit of trouble because they keep telling people about Jesus and the authorities don't like it. So they arrest Peter and John. So the church get together and pray for Peter and John to be released. So Peter and John get released and they go to the church. And then it says in verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. The majority of those people referred to in that verse would have been there at Pentecost. And what happened at Pentecost? Well, basically what happened in that verse we just read. The same thing, the Holy Spirit came and they were given boldness to speak the word of God. I think, again, we can see internal assurance. This church is now being persecuted. They've been praying, God, would you bring these people out of prison? 
or out from being under arrest and they're released. There's an internal assurance that God is with them. And then there's external power. So they begin to speak the word of God with boldness. Later on in chapter 13, it talks about the disciples in another city. And it says they're continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Continually. (laughs) How would you describe yourself? Occasionally. Sometimes. Continually filled. Just wondering. And we even encounter people who the main defining characteristic, as far as Luke's account is concerned, is that they're full of the Holy Spirit. How do people describe you? Obviously, for me, it's like Simon Clay, nice shirt, now, in 2019. Barnabas, Stephen, Philip, the other people who were kind of drafted in to do the important task of giving free lunches to widows. The requirement for that job was that they were full of the Holy Spirit. We should be defined as people who are full of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? Well, there's a really, really helpful image in Scripture of drinking. And we read it earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. Notice the universality of it. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Drink of the spirit. How often do you drink? I know it's dry January. I don't mean that sort of drink. He says drinking. How often do you drink? Take on liquid. No one has ever said to me, yeah, I used, you know, I used to drink when I was first born, had that milk stuff. I've kind of grown out of it. If you don't drink, you die. Not only do you die, but you die fast. I looked it up and no website was able to give me a definitive answer. I don't know what my work search engines are going to think, but you don't survive very long. It depends about how much fruit and veg you have, apparently. Anyway, that's kind of beside the point. You need water to survive. You need to drink to survive physically, and it's the same spiritually. If you don't drink deeply of the Holy Spirit, you'll shrivel up. You'll lose vitality. It will affect your internal assurance. You haven't got the Holy Spirit inside you telling you who you are. Then where are you hearing who you are from? Do you find yourself in times of doubt about who you are in him? Do you question whether you're really a child of God? Do you question whether God really loves you? If that's the case, maybe you need a drink. A drink of the Holy Spirit. If you don't drink of the Holy Spirit, it affects your external power as well. 
You won't have any. How can you live in the way Jesus lived if you're not full of the Holy Spirit? Because that's how Jesus did it. What's your character like? It's not just a self-flagellation thing. It's the Holy Spirit power in you. Turning you to look increasingly like our Saviour. Do you lack courage to speak the truth into situations? Or to demonstrate his kingdom? There's no surprise if you haven't drunk deeply of the Holy Spirit. If we don't get filled with the Holy Spirit, our assurance goes very quickly. We forget who we are and we lack power. And that, I think, is the main issue with the church in the UK. So there's an invitation to drink. I'm going to give you three quick references. One of them is we've just read. We were all made to drink of one spirit. The other is Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Think about the effects of drinking lots of wine. Drink of the Spirit. Drink of the Spirit. And Jesus himself, the ever helpful teacher, in John chapter 7, says this. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living waters. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's kind of what we've been saying for the last 20 minutes. But those verses introduce the one criteria that there is for being filled with the spirit. And that is that you're thirsty. It's the only criteria. That there's a thirst in you for that internal assurance. There's a thirst in you for intimacy with God. There's a thirst in you for the reality of knowing God and his power in your life. There's a thirst for him, the giver of good gifts. And... We're going to pray in a minute. But some of you may be thinking, so what does this Holy Spirit look like? Are there going to be tongues of fire and shaken rooms? So that's what happened in Acts. Well, then maybe. How cool would that be? Why not? Why not? But there's no formula. There's no rule book. So sometimes... We read in Acts there's a laying on of hands. Sometimes there isn't. Sometimes there's the immediate gift of speaking in tongues. Sometimes there isn't. Sometimes the person gets to the end of their sermon and sometimes they don't. (laughs) What are you hoping for? Yeah, thanks. (laughs) But I can tell you what it does look like. The filling of the Holy Spirit looks for you exactly like what God needs it to look like for you. 
That's what we can say definitively. Because he always does you good. And everyone's got a story. This is mine. I became a Christian when I was seven. And one day, when I was aged about nine, I was sat at the dining table, just with my mum. We weren't eating, but we just sat there chatting. And uh, she said to me, Simon, can you speak in tongues? As you do. So I said, uh, no, I can't. She said, ah, okay. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, I don't think I have. Which to her was clear, no, you haven't. If you don't know, then you haven't. Um, And so she just prayed for me there and then. That I would receive the Holy Spirit. And she prayed that I would speak in tongues. So um, she then told me to go away um, and try to practice speaking in tongues. And she said, it's going to seem a little bit strange, like you're making it up. But, you know, stick with it and you'll be fine. So I did. Obedient boy that I was. Went away. And tried to practice speaking in tongues and got these strange little words that popped into my head. So I said them and whatever. And over the next few weeks, just practiced as I was alone with God. No dramatics, no shaking, no falling over, no shaken rooms, no fire on my head, no nothing like that. Just a assuring filling of the Holy Spirit and a peace that came with it. Didn't totally understand it. I don't think all the theology there was totally tied up and correct. I certainly didn't understand it all. I know that I was filled with the Spirit. And I've been different ever since. So there's a an invitation this morning at the start of this new year, at the start of this series where we're going to be thinking about gifts to go. There's an invitation to come and be soaked in the giver. To have the giver of gifts, the Holy Spirit, fill you afresh. And that's an offer to all. Wherever you're from, whatever your background, Whatever your current experience or views on the Holy Spirit, the invitation is there.